Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. G'day everyone. How you going? Uh, episode 2, Series 3, Investing Insights with the Right Property Group. Phil Tarrant here, uh, one of your co-hosts. I'm joined by Steve and Victor from the Right Property Group. Gentlemen, how are you going? Good, Phil. Awesome. Good. Absolutely awesome. Yes. Yeah. You're winding up yet for Chrissy? Do you know something I don't? Like he's, <laughs> he's looking at me. Is that a problem? I'm always a bit nervous. We're always nervous. For always nervous. And, and that's the mantra of all good property investors, right? You know, always be nervous, always be paranoid. Uh, no, just always be risk aware. Okay. And it's risky. Good being answer, Steve. Mr. Conservative. Good, yeah. He's got quick after doing this for two and a half hey, uh, series now. So, <laughs> what's going on? You're winding down. You're. Hanging up the uh, negotiation boots and uh, taking it easy, or you're still right there in the trenches hunting out bargains? Just same thing. Everything goes on as usual. Obviously, there's some closures over the Christmas break, especially with the financiers and the, and the solicitors and what have you. But for us, we always think, and a lot of other um, advisors always think this is a pretty good time of the year, especially with the challenges we face around finance now for the, you know, everybody, including the general public. So it's mm. just a good time of year. And we'll be out there about making offers. And the phone calls from the agents don't actually stop. Yeah, they don't. Because people stop. still need to sell around this time. Yeah. So it's always good to have your phones turned do, on. Do you sort of sense a bit of desperation in the agents as you get close to Christmas, where people start getting a bit jerky yeah, and they do stuff? Yeah. Because they want to, they want to fill their pipeline in terms of their their income, so mm. their, their commissions for that January February quiet period. So they push as hard as they can now to get what they can now. But on the other side of the coin, the the sellers to the vendors. Mm. And I'm just being very general here. Coming off the back of Christmas, where they've spent, uh, you know, maybe some increased credit card debt, presents, holidays, what have you, sometimes they become a little bit more motivated to sell. But also uh, on the flip side of that, sometimes they have that Christmas time to reflect and take and the family members in the ear, or take their property off the market and just say, no, it's all too hard. We just we'll hang on to it. So it can Mm. go one way or the other. We like this time of year. So we got some pretty good feedback from uh, the. This is the. Second episode of series three, and we've had a bit of a bit of reshuffle and uh, a rebirth of our new jingle coming in with a big guitar riff. It seems to have gone down well, and uh, we put it out to you guys whether or not you wanted to keep it. And I think the consensus is keep it, which is good. And um, the back end of our episode one of series three, we introduced a new thing: our questions uh, at the yep, end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got some questions here, and, and uh, I've looked through them, and I've decided this week to do one around uh, renovation. So we'll touch that towards the back end of the podcast if that's all okay what i want to do today guys is um we received quite a, a considerable piece of uh writing from uh one of our listeners and um uh, that goes by the name of uh i see that i'm rustling paper here uh phil i've had to turn it over that's how long this is um he's put together his pen to piece here which um is interesting and i thought we could use that as a way we can steer our conversation today uh because um by reading this um it's a little bit emotive it's a little bit it's positioned in a particular way to try and maybe realize or, or justify a decision uh, that phil is making so what i'm going to do i'm going to read it out uh just so you can get a bit of an idea of of what this is so bear with me it might take me a couple of minutes but um i'll go through it all and then we'll we'll look at how we can dissect this and find some themes that we can chat about because i think a lot of investors probably thinking a similar way to phil so i reckon we can pull out a couple of things out here and unpack them and and give some sort of guidance on how you might be able to approach it so uh the email which is how it come in says um uh, hi Stephen victor uh, firstly let me apologize for the negative tone of this email Something just triggered me after listening to the last podcast. Uh, I have a topic that I'd love for you to discuss. Phil writes, having listened to you 
and other property podcasts, I get the sense that those involved in property are averse to shares, whereas those in shares are open to property. I've only recently started the Tune Into Share Investment podcast and books and was quite surprised by this finding. I ask myself why we are all in the investing game for the same reason, to make money, but why is property against shares? I put this down to one main reason. You all have something to gain from promoting property, but nothing to gain from shares, i.e. your businesses benefit from people having property. Uh, Phil writes, I currently own four properties in Adelaide, all within five kilometres of the CBD in what would be considered blue chip locations. The longest one I've held has been for eight years, and the capital has increased by 25% in this time. Others are in a very similar boat. Uh, nowhere near the inverted commas double in 12, 7 to 12 years that's promoted by everyone. Thankfully, we're in a very, very fortunate position to be on a combined income of over $300,000. So holding these properties has not been an issue. But here is my current thinking. Uh, some bullet points here. Uh, one, horrendous yields across most of the blue ship areas in Sydney. Second one, the requirement to negatively gear a property for quite some time is almost unavoidable in today's market. Third point, relying on the market to double in 7 to 12 years. As mentioned above, I don't think this is realistic. Maybe in some parts of Australia, but I don't see how a 600,000 townhouse on the outskirts of Adelaide will be $1.2 million in 10 years. Uh, dot, dot, dot. I know history has shown this, but as you always say, past performance is not an indication on future performance. And his last point, uh, thanks for this, Phil, is the property investment strategy game relies on capital growth that may not happen. On top of this are the numerous costs and headaches associated with a property portfolio. Given this, why I should hold on to negatively geared property, uh, brackets, maybe I don't completely understand the benefits of negative gearing, but my simple mind says money is better in the money out, another podcast topic perhaps, uh, in brackets. In the hope that property cycles will outweigh all of my holding costs and give me greater return than compared to the share market. I'm nearly done, so bear with me, please. The shares I'm looking at are ETFs and LICs, LICs. Uh, these are a consistent dividend yield of 6 to 8% with growth on top of this, uh, much better than any properties at the moment. They also have a very low holding cost of 0.007% to 0.14% management fees. This to me seems like a no-brainer. With an initial deposit of $300,000 plus 30, 80K yearly, compounding interest, tax-free dividend reinvestment schemes, I find it hard to see why I would continue to invest in property. He concludes... I see myself reaching an unencumbered income of $200,000 a year faster this way, which he's referring to as ETFs and licks rather than property, and with numerous less headaches and ongoing costs when compared to property. I've been pro-property in the past few years, and I'm willing uh, and struggling to see the benefits when compared to a shares. Conclusion, why should I put my money in property over shares? So thanks very much for that, for Phil, uh, reading that out. I know uh, thanks for bearing with me on that. I've been practicing reading out stuff by reading my children books. So that's how I uh, – so I find myself, just to digress really quickly, I find myself when I read children's books, I, I paraphrase because I don't really read. I just look and, and I just talk. And I you think make it up as you go along. Yeah, yeah. So, so reading children's books, I deliberately now read all, read all the words. So that's how I work on doing that sort of stuff. But anyway, so I'm always trying to self-improve. So – with a four-year-old book. With a four-year-old book, you know. <laughs> think about it. If, if, if you've got young kids, you know, you, you, I find myself making up stories. So actually read the words. It's, it's a good habit. Property over shares. So a couple of themes here, Victor, that I pull out of that. Number one would be diversification strategies. Number two would be a bias, mm -hmm. an investment bias. And I'll, I'll speak to you guys about that. I'd also say... Um, 
I'd like to have a chat about dispelling some property myths. Uh, this 7 to 12 years, for example, I think we should have a conversation around that. I'd like to have a chat around strategy, and I'd also like to have a chat around the management of properties. And importantly, I think we should have a good chat around um, yields versus capital growth. So we've got a lot to chat through. It's a great question. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Absolutely a good question. And um, the um, old myth of or the old adage of you know, shares versus property has always been around. We've been on record to say that you've got to diversify and certainly use the property as your base. You can leverage into shares based on your property equity. Certainly shares are a lot more liquid than, than properties. It's um, easier, faster to sell shares as opposed to properties in terms of time frame wise. Just a few uh, jargons in there, ETFs, uh, they're basically, for those that don't know, ETFs are very similar to managed funds, apart from the fact that managed funds get traded once the uh, trading floor closes, whereas ETFs get traded during the day. Yep, so pretty much they're managed funds that are being traded. And uh, leaks, they are basically companies investing in other companies, so uh, you know, leveraging so in terms of lifestyle investments. And they have evolved over the last couple of years with change in technology and um, uh, ASX, which has sort of given it um, the, the platform. But certainly the thing that we need to be mindful of there is when you look at it from a property perspective as opposed to share perspective, there are some leveraged rules that we need to adhere to where we may not be able to leverage as highly uh, in terms of um, these uh, ETFs uh, as opposed to property, depending on the cycle where the property is, property market is at. Uh, and so we need to keep that in mind uh, when you're looking at this. Okay. All right. Elephant in the room, Steve. Mm-hmm. You guys promote property because you guys make your money being in the business of property. Do we or no? That so this is <laughs> was that a statement? This is a statement. This, so, so Phil's saying you guys promote property because you're in the business of property. We promote property as an investment vehicle because that's what we understand and that's what we're good at. Mm. Furthermore, from what Vic said, in terms of the whole property versus shares and which which performs better than the other, like I don't think we'll be drawn into that because, mm. and we never have been for the simple reason being that, as Vic said. We are fans of diversification, so property should not be your only vehicle, nor should shares. You know, there needs to be a, a crossover amongst many different platforms, including maybe even businesses, whatever it may be. So I don't think getting into that argument, I don't think one is better than the other. Both appeal to different risk profiles uh, and both have their pros and cons. The whole liquidity issue uh, or mantra around shares is true. You can sell it in 30 seconds and it, it'll give you an instant result. On the flip side of that, though, for people like myself who can monitor the share's performance with the simple refresh of your computer screen to see if it's going up, down or sideways, that would just wreak havoc with my bandwidth. Look, uh, when you're talking about liquidity, right, high liquidity also brings in high risk as well because it does fluctuate and hence the liquidity of it as well. And I remember way back when I started investing and, and, and I started both in property and shares, we used to get a beeper, right? So when when the shares yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when the shares would hit a particular price, the beeper would go off. And and back those days, I was doing uh, sonography, so doing ultrasound. And uh, you know, the poor patient with a full bladder, I would have to wait while I go, go in and put a trade in. It was that you know, funky. I can picture that. I right? could say, <laughs> I could say to, I, on your belt, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, absolutely. Oh, I've got a medical emergency. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Run away. Maybe it wasn't the beep and pager. Maybe it was like the heart monitor or something <laughs> on the poor patient. Yeah. And, and and before we go any further, um, just. 
you know, I don't want to get legalese about this. as a big disclaimer at the end of this podcast, but this is a very general chat. We're not saying go invest in shares or go and invest in properties. We're just going to break this down and look at this shares versus property debate. And I think a good way to do that is to let's look at some of the drivers and uh, mechanics of investment and some of the objectives of that and then look at it property versus shares. So you've spoken about liquidity to start yeah, just, with. Sorry, right? I want to go back one step. Just mm. to, Maybe I didn't answer the, the question well enough. You know, is Do we promote pr- property because you know, that's how we generate an income mm. uh, and I did answer that part but the reason we don't talk about shares is because we don't consider ourselves enough of an expert to give there advice you, you know that. we're not giving advice around shares because you know no you, you're, you're not a, a share advisor I'm not a share I'm not a share advisor I'm a qualified property investment advisor so that's what I talk about mm. it doesn't mean that I don't believe in shares as I said you need diversification across your wealth vehicles mm. and shares give a certain degree or a lot of positives in terms of the vehicle that you control that property doesn't and vice versa. Do I own shares? Yes. I, I'm a big believer in being not a consumer but an, but an owner. So I have bank shares. Mm. I'm not saying everyone should go and have bank Bank shares, yeah, disclaimer, but I like it. I, I like the yeah, bank shares. Yeah, they right. give a good dividend. They 90, give a good deal. 90% of Australians probably own bank shares plus in their super funds, right? Yeah. Everyone's, well, got, everyone's got some bank exposure. Well, I, I balance them against the, the negatively geared properties, which we'll talk a little yeah. bit about. Apple, same thing. I, I own Apple gear, so I'm I'm an owner. Did you buy those shares 20 years ago? No, I wasn't a lot. I wasn't, I'm not that old. <laughs> 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 All right, so shares per, shares versus property. Let's 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 continue with this. I like it. Okay, Victor, we're talking about liquidity. So liquidity is how easy is your money available mm-hmm. to you? There's pros and cons with that. So pros for that in shares is that you can get your cash pretty much straight away. Pretty much straight away. Okay, yeah. and because it is that liquid, and liquidity is how fast we can sell it. Mm. If there is like right now in property, we've got a lot of negative news. Finance is hard. Market's going to crash. The election's coming. Negative gearing is going to go away. All of these negative news. Now, if we had the same thing in shares, because there's that ability to really sell down the shares rapidly, you do lose value rapidly as well. Whereas in property, it, it is a lot more stable. Now, if we were able to trade properties just like we did shares, the same thing would happen in property. Yeah, it, it would it, not be as stable. Mm. You'd, you'd see an absolute crash over the last six months Absolutely. because of that. Well, it's sentiment-driven, yeah. right? You know, mm. a lot of share trading is sentiment-driven. You look at uh, organisations, you know, something catastrophic would have to happen yep. for 30% in a day to come off of value but of it property. But it would happen in property if property was as liquid. Mm. If it had the platform to be able to instantly sell a property and have it settle within hours... Then there is. You'd have the I, same issues. I have no doubt that over the last twelve months, we probably would have seen thirty to forty percent, just because it's consumer dri- driven, and the ability to be able to get out of that vehicle so quickly. The very reason that you can't get out of it that quickly is probably why it's given a little bit more stability over the last twelve months, with even with the amount of negative media and consumer sentiment around and, and, it. And to be fair, also for a pro on the liquidity side, the reason why one of the benefits of investing properties leverage, and we'll get to that leverage being that the bank is willing to partner you on the investment in property. If it was that volatile property, you know, when you look at margin lending within shares, you know, you can get a tap on the shoulder any day saying, "Oh, Mr. Tarrant, you need to top your account you up." You know, otherwise, we're going to yeah. come after all of your stuff. So it gives the lenders greater confidence to invest in property in partnership with Australian investors and 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 homeowners. So for liquidity, there's pros and cons for both. Mm-hmm. Pros and cons for property. It means that if you want to capitalise an opportunity really quickly or you need money for something else, it's hard to extract that value out of your property quickly. Absolutely. Unless you've been prepared beforehand via redraws, line of credits mm-hmm. or offsets, offsets or, or whatever. whatever it may be. Which so we strategies. always say. Which, yeah, we, which always we always say, say be, prepared. be liquid. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And what we'll do, I think we'll um, summarize this in a bit of an article on smart product investment as well. I think a lot of people ask this question all the time. Mm -hmm. Victor, I'm going to give you responsibility to coordinate that and uh, make sure it's brilliant uh, as 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 it always is. That's good. All right. So um, that's liquidity. Go and check it out when we put it up online. Um, Capital growth. So Phil has drawn his own conclusions that he gets greater capital growth out of uh, licks and ETFs versus his experience, and I'll, I'll reinforce it, his experience yeah. investing in property in Adelaide. And there again, he's, you know, we'll have a chat about that as well, clustering all these investments in one place, um, diversification. So do you, Victor, get greater capital growth in property or do you get greater capital growth investing in shares or vehicles that allow you to invest in shares like ETFs and licks? Look, over a longer period of time, because of the stability and because of the fact that you know you're not in terms of property you're not dependent on the on how a company or how management behaves and therefore affects the share pricing you're likely to get more growth in properties with a caveat there are shares there that have far exceeded property growth the reason why i'm more pro property and i do both shares and, and property the reason why i'm more into property is because of the stability and and the predictability of growth based on infrastructure, based on simple fundamentals, which I do not have such a direct ability to compare or to research when it is a share price. So furthermore, and and this is not me or yourself giving an opinion, but some would say that the basic necessity being accommodation is is also a driver in terms of growth yes. not, not everybody needs a bhp share to live but everybody needs a roof over their that's head right. now that's not me trying to put a, pro, a tick in the pro column however shelter everyone needs shelter it. yeah everyone, not everyone needs a bhp share or cba share no i mean the company needs to exist though however because mm. you know we want the money but so, so you're, t- you're talking about the um the things that underpin the value of the asset so yeah but depending on how far you, you know, dive into this the the property perhaps wouldn't exist to the degree it does if the business is such as the banks which have the shares didn't exist either. Mm. So you, know, mm. you can go it goes way hand in hand. You can, yeah, yeah it, it is a hand, and that's the point. It mm. is a hand in hand approach, I mm-hmm. believe. And once again, not favouring one over the other. We just happen to be the property guys. Yeah. Mm. So if you look at any downturn, any recession as such, traditional investors will abandon the share market and jump into property as being into your safer options. Right? So if you look at all the articles during the GFC, you know there are articles there that saying that pe- people are abandoning the share market and getting to the safe haven of investment properties. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is the reason behind that. There's a couple of reasons behind that in terms of it's tangible in the sense that property is tangible, whereas uh, you're looking at share trading as such or, or share ownership, it is not as tangible. And again, it is more susceptible to your market movement or market sentiment movement. Overlay that with the fact that uh, in, a, in a property as an asset, generally you're able to leverage a lot higher compared to a share portfolio. In most cases, you are able to only uh, leverage between 60 to 80% in a share portfolio, whereas in a property, in a good market, you're even able, able to go up to 95%. And, and right now, uh, we are starting to see off the, off the back of easing finance, a lot of lenders are coming back in with 90% lending mm. uh, on, on, on properties. So you're able to leverage your capital. So in our case where Phil says he's got 300K, he's able to leverage that capital a lot harder in a property asset type 
However, it comes back to the asset selection itself, the diversification, not not having all of your eggs in one basket, just just like you would in, in shares. In one basket, yep. in one price bracket Correct. profile as, mm-hmm. as well. And I think that once again, and this is probably the fifth time I've said it, having them hand in hand or complementing each other actually will pay dividends as well. Because I think uh, Phil mentioned that he's getting 6 to 7% frank dividends or something, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah interest-free, I think, as well. Uh, tax-free. You know, 6 to 8%. Yeah, so sorry, tax-free. Yeah. Depending on how you positioned it and, mm. and not played with the numbers, but the way that you looked at the numbers, one should be, you know, one could be potentially supporting the other. The other yeah. So that the bottom line across your business, and that means multiple investment vehicles, is going a long way towards balancing it. Mm. And the other thing too is everything is cyclical. So whilst at the moment property is copying a caning, more so in Melbourne and uh, Sydney in terms of uh, the press, consumer confidence uh, and what have you, shares aren't getting that same s- spotlight or that mm. moment uh, in the sun, Oh, they so do. You pick up the fin most days and it's just blood on the streets, you know, you see. But that's one day. You know. And then the next day it's, it's different. And this is the, the measurement of the stock market. Mm. You know, at the moment, I think the stock market in America just fell again because of you know, Trump's commentary, which is you know, how easy the market can be manipulated mm. or, or governed, so to speak, is just by commentary around whatever it may be. And it's also how, um, and we've spoken about this before on Investing Insights or the Right Property Group, how you choose to measure numbers. Like they'll go, oh, well, this well is the you key. know, you know uh, the, the all order is, uh, are as low as what they were in August mm-hmm. after a spike of whatever. But if you go back 20 years, you go, well, they're you know, 100 points higher, whatever the number is. Well, so you mentioned 20 years. So yeah. here's some interesting here's some interesting numbers on the I think, S&P 500. So they measured, I think it was um, one of the big accountant, accountancy uh, companies did a, a measurement over the last 20 years of the S&P 500, I believe it was. And over that 20 years, if you had been in the market every single day, so you never took a cent out of it, uh, I think the return was 7 or 8%. Yep. Annual. Annual. Okay. Uh, over the 20 years. If, however, uh, you missed or you were out of the market for 20 of those days over 20 years, so the 20 of the best trading days, 20 of the best trading days over the last 20 years, your return went from 7 or 8%, whatever it was, down to 2%. Mm. If you were out of the market for the 30 best, 30 best trading days over the last 20 years, you actually lost money. My point is the time in the market by not getting in and getting out, which is what shares allow you to do, mm. can be equally as rewarding or equally as dangerous. It just might have been a whole futile futile attempt and, and it's because there's a correction growth. every yeah. year once a year mm-hmm. there's a correction in the stock market mm. and I, I can't remember what the figures are that government correction if it falls by 10 percent, it's a correction if, yeah. it, if it's 20 percent, it's a bear market or whatever it may be property doesn't get measured like that because it's not physically possible to measure it on a daily or a per hour basis people are trying to do that you know but we do have corrections yeah, yeah. we're in we one now corrections yeah yeah, yeah. so if, if you look at look at this particular scenario so we've got four blue chip properties within the adelaide cbd ring yeah so there's several things, and not knowing Phil's uh, full financial circumstances, I'm just talking very generally over here. Yeah, So there's several things that could have been done better over here in the sense that we could have diversified it over multiple states. So rather than having everything in the Adelaide market and, and being totally dependent on how Adelaide market does in, in relation to the rest of Australia, we could have had it um, spread over, say, uh, Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne. Uh, as an example, and and I bet that if we had held those properties with those numbers in in the Sydney market and Melbourne market, we probably would be uh, you know uh, singing a different tune altogether. And therefore, it is important that you you know you look at it from a diversification point of view, and make sure that we are across multiple states, we are across multiple asset types 
in terms of distance from 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 CBD and making sure that we are buying in the affordable corridors as opposed to just only having blue chip where there is a lot more of holding cost in terms of negative cash flow and uh, because we are in different states each state moves in a different phase different cycles so as an example sydney went to a peak earlier than melbourne 6 months earlier and then started in a decline so if we had property in sydney and melbourne we're 6 months out of step and therefore we can plan and adjust and coming back to the whole affordable scenario if we had the affordable properties in other words supporting each other so we may have a negative cash flow property and let's try and pigeon pay it with a a high yielding property not in a regional area still metropolitan so it could be a house with a granny flat as an example we can self support and doesn't impact lifestyle doesn't impact cash flow that heavily uh, and, and therefore over a set period of time we are just sitting back and waiting for that growth to happen and waiting for that inflection point to happen as well whether we force that inflection point or whether it comes naturally. naturally and if we explore that a little bit further back into adelaide and we think adelaide is a It is a good market. It's a good market. It, it it's going ahead. Perhaps the price bracket was the challenge there yes. when you look at the yield mm. uh, and the holding costs or the expenses that that go along with owning property. But if we come back and I'm going to also now bring in the whole double 7 to 12 year. Well, I was going to say who's responsible for that mantra? Who made it up? I just think someone who was actually pushing property many yeah, many absolutely. years ago. Yeah. Uh because it's never been something that we've talked about. It's one of the, the sort of biggest sort of myths. It's a, is it a myth? I'm not too sure, but it's maybe a misconception. I think with the advent of technology and that was probably based around the last Sydney cycle so early 2000s or or thereabouts and where there was such a a huge market swing upwards where properties did double very very quickly in fact mm. I remember one of mine doubled in 12 months and not because of Jeez, that broke the seven year rule well it did say <laughs> myth busted it um but and that was lucky yes I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was it was it was more yeah, luck than good yeah, luck comes your way take yeah. it you know if 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 you go back to that particular property then for 12 years it didn't do much yeah it 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 went through its cycle it went through its natural cycle because mm. it had to get back to its averages yep. and i did those numbers just the other day on that very same property and it averaged out at i don't know 7 or 8% whatever it was compound mm. but that's a sydney market and not every market will do that yeah. now to get to get back to the doubles in every 7 to 12 years there'll be some suburbs there'll be some properties there'll be some property types within a street that could do that mm. and inverted commas could but, but it's all, reliant, the moon, it's, it's, all the moons need to align yeah and, and it's reliant to, on consistent growth but it, but well, or it could be growth that is not genetic mm-hmm. we'll call it genetically modified growth being <laughs> that if you take a look at the Geelong market now yes. yeah I'm not saying that it's doubled but there were some factors in there that made that market go and we were in that market mm-hmm. too just saying but there are some there were some factors within that market which made it go quicker and a few markets around it it outperformed because and we took the government grant yes right so that was a genetically modified driver if you will mm-hmm. that made that market and then of course you overlay that with affordability so the myth that property stable every 7 to 12 years is just that it's a myth we do not forecast on 7 to 12 years uh, because we know that there will be inconsistencies within the market look at sydney mm. we just doubled in 5 to 7 years now but it'll do nothing and so it'll do no, it's contracted and then it'll do nothing for a period mm. of time because that's how we get back to the averages so if you measure it over the next 7 year block it probably won't yeah so double. if you look at the last couple of cycles in sydney as an example right so we've gone traditionally in the metropolitan areas we've gone 
four years of downturn or flat market, and then we've had five to seven years of rapid growth. Yep, the definition of rapid growth is a direct comparison of how slow the market was in the previous four years. So we are entering into, if history was to was to be taken, we're entering into, say, between two to four years of slow growth in, in the Sydney market. Or sideways. Yeah, or sideways, yeah. yeah. So if someone's buying a property right now, and they're not manufacturing that growth, coming back to the renovation side of things, manufacturing that growth, what they will find is that they haven't had any growth in, in the four years. And then as growth starts to happen, the general human tendency is it hasn't worked out. Mm. Let's offload it and let, let's take our money elsewhere. And, and this is when um, opportunistic property investors Correct. get good bargains and you guys don't. But I think we should park some of these ideas because I think they might make a really good future podcast around mm. projection and forecasting. How to actually work out what something's going to go up in value. I think it's a bit too much to tackle in, in this particular discussion. But uh, I would say Phil says within his his uh, email here, he just doesn't believe that a property worth $600,000 today is going to be worth $1.2 million in... That's a fair statement. Or 10, yeah. 10. But when you go back through history, and he's going, I know history tells us that's what it will do, but I sit there thinking, going, how can a property I bought five years ago in, in um, Mount Druitt for $300,000 <laughs> be worth... You know, a million dollars in five years' time. You I know, did that. A, mm. That very property that doubled. I remember thinking yeah. to myself, "How one hundred and five thousand? That's how much it was when I purchased that property. How can that be worth two hundred and ten thousand? Well, twelve months yeah. later, it happened. But then, how could it be worth four hundred? Well, it happened, and today it's probably worth five fifty, six hundred, or something yeah. like that. It, it does happen as long as they're in well-located areas. Will it happen? Well, in- this comes back to buying. Well, yeah. and which is again another completely different, um, it's a different, different scenario. So, it might take 20 years, yeah. We'll do okay. Property versus shares, I think we're doing as well. So, um, how liquidity fits within it, property mm-hmm. versus shares. We've just spoken about capital growth, so essentially, that's the good bit. You want your thing to go up in value, property versus shares. Let's have a chat around yields. So, um, it's sort of connected. I was going to chat about cash flow as well. I'm going to separate them because I think they're different things. Yield, so the yield is that what your return on investment is, Steve. Property versus shares. Look, I think horses for courses, and this is where I think the mixture of the two is is a really a potentially awesome strategy, depending on the type of shares or EFTs you go for and the, and the, the dividends that it gives you. If we break that down back to the property, if we do go the blue chip area, as an example, it's just traditionally we're going to get a lower yield unless mm-hmm. you get funky with it. What, and what does that happen? Whatever. What's, what's the mechanics you, behind you, getting you, lower yield? Entry price. price is too high. Yeah. Okay. Yep. There's only so much rent that you can charge. So there's less disparity between rents per week versus disparity in the, the top and bottom of, of, I guess, property values, right? That's that's the mechanics, isn't it? You can only charge so much. You can only charge it's for, supply and demand. For a two-bedroom property, irrespective of where it is. It's supply and demand. It's supply and demand. Yeah, and and whilst that might say, well, then surely on the inner city or in a blue chip area, you should be able to charge more. Well, there's only so many people that can afford that. Mm. Uh, I think you're not, you're not dealing to the the masses so to speak but his yields are low i mean at three percent which is typical for a blue chip what's what's a blue chip well place this in, is that was my adelaide worth you reckon like, it's got to oh, be could be six seven hundred buy-in could be up to 1.5 yeah it um could be two in fact i'm i was down there last week i'll let you know i think an adelaide is a, is a different it's a different ball game than sydney or melbourne it's and a lower need, lower population base as well you need You've to treat it differently mind as well. yeah. and there's some good things happening down there but just back to the yield and this is where the approach to it in a business-like manner pays dividends, so to speak, because you, you're looking to balance the numbers with different asset types. And asset types don't necessarily mean houses or shares or businesses. It's diff- it might be different types of properties so that you can add value, you can add potential cash flow to it via small developments or 
room rentals or secondary accommodations, whatever it may be, mm. so that you're continually balancing the number because at the end of the day, cash flow is king and so is cash flow management. Or if you actually overlay that with some high-yielding shares or, or FTs and licks, then once again, you're balancing the numbers, but you just can't leverage as far with those as you can with property. Okay, so another point I think worth discussing uh, as a one of the mechanics of investment, so liquidity, capital growth, yield is uh, cost to hold. And again, that's different to cash flow. It will erodes cash flow. Yeah, the, yeah. The, cost, the cost to hold property by and large is more expensive than holding shares. It is. There's, there's, and there's no argument. Yep. It just is. Mm. Uh, you've so, got management rates, uh, you've got repairs and maintenance, maintenance you've got taxes. There is just no way that you could argue away from that. Property costs more, but if you if you were funky with your numbers and you decided to reverse leverage that back into your initial deposits, and then break that down as a percentage of the holding costs, then it might be different. Okay. Well, he, he, he's blinking. He's like, "What Mr. the hell was that about?" Actuarial over here. You yeah, know? I know. I right? thought you were from the country. <laughs> you know, I think west of Kirribilli is the country. According to I'm you, I'm going to get picked off for that. Call. I love the country. Yeah. <laughs> Great people. Yeah. So just like reverse, like truly reverse engineer it. So if, mm. if you're getting, if it's twelve percent of your, if the management costs are twelve percent, or the, the cost to operate that particular asset is twelve percent, reverse engineer it back into the actual dollar amount that you physically invested, not so much the leverage component. Which is which is your return in investment. So if you if you investing say you know a hundred thousand into one property as a deposits and and closing costs. What's the return in terms of the end value? Well, it could be it, infinite. Yeah, that's and right. That, but and whilst it sounds really cool. I think you're going to take that so far mm-hmm. before you start to play with your own head. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, what it boils down to is that if you have a balanced portfolio in line with your financial fingerprints and in, in, in line with what you're trying to achieve, whether it is massive equity or good cash flow or a balance of both, which is what we advocate, it will determine which way you go. It mm. de- determines where you buy, what you buy, and how long you hold onto it and what do you do with it? Do you add secondary dwellings to it? Do you leave it well alone? So is it just a set and forget scenario or are you actively managing it to actually push it along towards your goal? Backing up his argument or agreeing with it in terms of the, the small yield or the low yield and getting to that end goal of a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year, I think it was positive cash flow or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And he's got, what was it, three or four in, in Adelaide? Four, four in Adelaide, yeah. Well, let's say it was four across, spread across Australia still. Because you're at the high, the higher level and there's nothing wrong with that, but because the yield is always traditionally and will always be traditionally low, if just one of those properties is not rented for an, ex- an extended period of time for whatever the reason may be... Kills your cash flow. It's a big chunk mm. of your cash flow that's, that's gone. Yes, less hassle with less properties, but I also believe higher risk as mm. well. So for the sake of speed, I think you guys have just touched on that cash flow thing. As we said, Victor, you'll write a piece around this and dig a lot deeper into all these different components. I want to finish up just this particular bit around property versus share. So liquidity, growth, yields, the cost to hold, the cash flow. I'll finish it with control. Control's an important thing for me when I think of Huge. property. Um, I invest because I like to invest in something I know and understand. Uh, yeah. Investing in shares, if you're not really absolutely 100% appreciation of what the business does and who's in charge of it, what their goals are, and 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 that leadership team, um, that's that's really, really challenging. That's, that's a good way to put it, that, that yeah. leadership team. And, and look, also, let's not forget to mention that those that do shares and do them well, yeah, they approach it just like mm-hmm. we do with property and they, they look for the fundamentals as well. They look for the, you know, the earning capacities of the company, how much debt they have and so on and so forth. So they do it well. Unfortunately, the majority of people that invest in shares and property 
are more passive investors. So they sit back and they just let things unfold. They don't have any real understanding of it or education around it, which is once again for both properties and shares. But furthermore, from what you're saying, Phil, in terms of control, for me, that is the underlying reason that I that property is my vehicle mm. predominantly is because I control it for the most. Uh, I can make a difference to the outcome by you know, renovating mm. uh, bigger cash deposits, doing something to increase its cash flow, its value, whatever it may be. But I have a direct input into uh, how it's going to perform, whereas with shares, I don't. And that's once again not a positive or negative. It's just it's just the way I work. And at the end of the day, you know, if you were to ask most property people why property over shares, it'd be because of the leverage. Yeah, look, and, and I think the biggest difference that that we haven't really spoken about, although we've 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 skirted all around it, is the fact that with a property portfolio, you can enhance its value by doing some direct work on it, as opposed to a share, you're you are still dependent on how the company floats and how the how the uh, general trend is in terms of market sentiment. Whereas in a property uh, portfolio, you can force the growth, you can add value to it, you can add a secondary dwelling to it. So you've got a lot more different ways of, of enhancing the value, getting closer to your goal, um, uh, whether it is to add value and sell down to unencumber the other properties or whether it is to add value, hold on, or just do nothing. And I think that's a, well, that's the, that's a pro for the shares though because mm. for shares, you're really just along for the ride. Yep. There's nothing you can do. Well, well, I'm happy you said that, Victor, because you give me a great segue into our question this week around renovation. So this point around control is that you can actually tangibly – with your own two hands, increase the value of your property through renovation. Absolutely, you can. Which you most cannot of the do. Time. Most of the time. Most of the time. A lot of people get it wrong, right? Yeah. Um, but so let's get into the the, the, the question for, for this particular episode. But before I do that, I think we've done it pretty well, you know, shares versus property. I think just, yeah. but just to you close know? that off, just so that Phil you know, knows exactly where we stand, mm. is we're not all just about property. I think you should have the diversification. The reason we don't speak about shares is because we're not the experts. Yeah, and to summarise the points we spoke about, we spoke about leverage, we spoke about diversification, we spoke about investment bias, uh, we spoke about clustering all your assets in, in one area. So that's a bit of a bit of a diversification piece. We spoke about strategy and we spoke about effective property management. And that's all about yields and cost to operate and cash flow and, and that sort of stuff. So um yeah, that was good. I think we've done well. So questions, I'm shuffling through uh, all of my papers here and I think Steve has it right in front of him, which he's going to send to me over right now. Um uh, this question is from Gretel. Thanks Gretel. Um uh, appreciate the uh question. I won't sort of bore you with the, the sort of preamble because I'm going to crystallise it. I'm really short of time here. Uh, it is, is there any renovation you would never do yourself, e.g. installing a vanity? Uh, I would never. Can I answer uh, that yeah, first? Victor, yeah, you would, go. Yeah, yeah, go on. Victor, Victor, I know the answer to this, yeah. yeah. For me to do myself, I wouldn't do any renovation myself. However, you know that expertise can be bought and I buy the time for, and, the exper- and the expertise of, of the, the tradespeople and I manage them. Says anyone who doesn't know a hammer from a front door. <laughs> are you just saying you're useless and not handy? <laughs> I'm not handy at all. But you've got to know what, yeah. you, what your strengths yeah. are, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and yeah. outsource your weaknesses. You know? <laughs> yeah, whereas when I did have time, I'd, I'd love it. But the, the question is, what would you not do yourself uh, anything that requires a licensed tradesman? Or yeah, that's just a good point. Dangerous. Sparky work. So electrical, uh, most plumbing. 
Yep. Uh, things like that. The, the biggest return on your investment, if you are going to get your hands dirty, is just that sweat equity. Mm. So do the, the laborious- The crap stuff. Yeah, the stuff that you did on your renovations. You yeah, know, like, like pulling like, out the kitchens, ripping like, out the bathroom. Yeah. Like demo, anyone can do demo. Correct. Anyone can sand, anyone can paint with a little bit of help. Because um, it's also the, the 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 unskilled labor is also on a per hour, per hourly basis some of the most expensive parts of a renovation in terms of the labor content. Correct. So you are better off doing that if you have the time. But do your numbers because sometimes it's not worth you doing it because you're taking away time off your day job or it takes too long. It just you, you need to do the numbers, but never do anything that is required to be done by a licensed person or anything that has to do with power. Yeah, you don't want to sort of get zapped, right? But uh, I think it's important, though, if you're doing a renovation, to actually give it a go the first time. I think you can only by doing the job and often uh, as unskilled labour, the crap jobs, can you really understand and appreciate how long things take. So when you get a quote saying uh, to rip out your kitchen and pull your carpets up or to send and polish your floors is going to cost X, you've got appreciation for it. Otherwise, just a, a number that which has no no merit. So get your hands dirty at some point. I've done it. You've done it. Uh, I haven't done a reno for quite some time. I haven't either. I was just you actually, know. as you were talking, not that I wasn't listening, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, when was the last time I actually sat on a site and uh, got dirty? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, um, other than at home, mm. home all the time. But it's, it, I just had a quote on uh, one of my places up in Brisbane that needs re-stumping. So for those that don't understand what that means, it means the piers have rusted and I need, I don't know, a dozen new ones or something. And the difference in quotes was astounding. A low, sorry, a high quote was $23,000. The lowest quote for exactly the same work, just a tad over $3,000. So you've got to know your numbers, got to know what it costs. Well, you, and, You've got to know because otherwise you're going to get ripped off. Oh, you're going to get ripped. Look, it's and that doesn't mean all trades are going to rip, but they will... You know, they want to earn as much as they can for as least amount of work. That's just human nature, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, don't do the, the, the skilled work yourself. That's not something that that job I wouldn't do mm. myself because it takes too long and you got to squat under a house and I'm, I don't know, six foot and it's scared of spiders. Yeah, I don't mind spiders. <laughs> but uh, I, I also think just knowing what the worth is for them, you know, what you said, a lot of our clients that are based where their renovations are, we're massive fans of them getting their hands dirty and understanding the different components of a renovation because they get to know what the costs are so that yeah. as they uh, develop their portfolio and they'll need different trades quotes at different times, they'll have an understanding on the timeliness of jobs but also yeah. what they should cost and what that they don't get bamboozled with the tradie language. Mm. Yeah, invest in your education. And, and I, is- I would also say... Be a little bit ambitious as well, you know, like demolition stuff. If you're ripping out a kitchen or taking tiles off bathroom walls, you know, give it a go. It's Anyone can pretty much do it as long as you've got some physical capabilities. Sanding, painting, give it a go. It's not too hard. And, and there's plenty of stuff on YouTube of how to do stuff, right? A lot of people, you know, educate themselves just by doing that. You can even go a step further and, and try tiling by yourself if you prepare correctly and I love tiling and tiling's cool it's a great satisfaction tiling it's like you know? Lego yeah. when you're a kid great satisfaction tiling like, it's some of those bits sophisticated you're doing cuts and curves and angles and all sort of stuff leave that to the experts but if it's just straight out tiling give it a go 100% and I think to close off because we are long running long out of time if yeah. anyone is thinking of doing a renovation at all full stop my tip for you would never do a renovation no matter how minor it is whilst there are tenants in the property do yeah. not take that risk. Mm. Uh, only do it when it is vacant or empty. It's just not worth it. We've seen many instances where investors have chosen to do the renovation and just move the 
the tenants' stuff with their permission aside, and it's just ended up very badly. Good counsel. I think we've done well there. It was uh, quite a long one, but I think we've extended these out. If, if you like the longer form podcasts, uh, we're happy to keep them at this sort of time, which is about 45 minutes. Uh, if you want us to keep them shorter, let us know. We're, we're happy for your feedback, uh, positive and or negative. Uh, Steve, this is the last one you. for the year. Hope you. you have a nice summer break and do all that sort of stuff. A couple of weeks cool. off. You too, Victor. Absolutely. Festive cheers. Um, just before we go, just yeah. one other thing. Fulfill the the person that wrote the, sure. the question in. I'd love to hear his feedback on whether we've just we've answered the question for him or he feels we've just skirted all around it. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think you've done? Oh, I think we've answered it fairly. Yeah. yeah, send us an email, Phil. Send us an email, yeah. and thanks um, for sending the question uh, to begin yeah. with. Yeah. yeah, and 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 look, we're very responsive to this. So um, send your stuff in, and uh, I quite like using these this reader feedback as as ways for us to shape. Uh, our conversation. Uh, Victor, what do people do if they want to get in touch? Uh, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. Okay. Have you got any, any other news for us? Anything else happening that we need to know about within Right Property Group land? Anything going on? Uh, business it? as usual. Business as usual. Yeah. Yep, business Much as like usual. the property market. That's right. Good. Yeah, thanks. I hope everyone had a great 2018. We'll be back in 2019, ready to roll from uh, January, but use this period over the break to um, just think about your property uh, portfolio, what your uh, aims, your aspirations are in property, and maybe just use it as a way to uh, uh, recheck where you are uh, on your investment journey and whether there's any changes that you uh, want to make. There is uh, plenty of stuff out there to help you uh, steer you through those decisions. But as I always say, uh, make sure you lean on the uh, on the um, uh, on experts to help you go down this path in property investment. We'll be back again in 2019. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.